there are a number of passages that I could complement in terms of the passage that we're reading from Mark this morning, and I thought that I would accent the situation that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, about today is the day of salvation. So I'd like to read that section for you as a prelude to our passage from Mark uh, this morning as we continue in our series, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Listen to the holy, infallible word of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Over to Mark chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 1 and then read verse 14 and 15. Verse 1 of Mark 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now after John was arrested... Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let's pray. We are so thankful, O God, that thou hast brought the day of salvation, and we live in it. We ask that we would be open, our hearts would be enriched by the kingdom that has now come in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us 
to understand the nature, the essence, the truth of that kingdom in our own lives, in our own daily walk. In Christ's name, amen. Let the earth shake. Let the earth rejoice. The cosmic battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan has arrived with the two principal figures prophesied in the covenant of grace in Genesis 3.15, actually confronting each other now in history. The seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is now face to face with the seed of the serpent, Satan, in the wilderness. Verses 12 and 13 of Mark's gospel there, chapter 1. The triune God is completely in control of the whole situation. This incredible cosmic final scene and era in the history of redemption. At Christ's baptism, the Holy Spirit descended upon Christ, anointing him as the final prophet, as the final priest, and the final king. The voice of his Father makes the pronouncement into the creation that Christ is his beloved Son in whom he is well pleased. Verse 11. Then the activity of the Holy Spirit drives the Son into the wilderness. A reenactment of Israel and their wilderness journey in order to sustain Christ along with the supportive ministry of the angels of heaven against Satan and his furious beasts. The true Son of God has come and he has exited the wilderness, not grumbling before his Father. He is sustained in his test, in his trial. He exits, now ready, now ready for his own mission, a mission defined by his identity as the Son of God, as Christ the Messiah, as Jesus, the one who will master the triumphant redemption for sinners. Indeed, we have entered into a whole new domain of history. And every one of us who are here this morning must must not minimize the event in which we have now gone into in terms of that history. Mark is not holding back in his narrative at all. The cosmic battle and its end has begun between the triune God and his chief adversary, Satan. Do not miss the opening phrase there in verse 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. This seems a little bit odd, does it not? 
Mark does not even tell us why at this point John is arrested. Seems so discourteous to a person who played such a significant part in verses 2 through 9. Why does Mark do this? Let me place before you at least two clear reasons. First, John is not the focus any longer in the text. The role of Christ's forerunner is now over. The Old Testament age of the prophets has finally ended in John. The old covenant has reached its end. This brings me to the second reason here. The inauguration of John's successor has now takes center stage. And he now acts. It's an active verb. The focus is upon the identity and ministry of the new covenant. The final era of God's sovereign and providential plan for the creation, the cosmos, in his son, Jesus Christ. The actions, the activity of Jesus is now the focal point, is now the focal point of the entire gospel of Mark. Jesus came into Galilee. Jesus is the main actor of the narrative now in Mark. We are in the setting of the cosmic battle between the Son and Satan. Are your eyes this morning focused on Christ? Are your ears listening to Christ? Are your hearts being enriched by Christ? Is your walk conformed to the servant Messiah? Today, today is the day of salvation. As we enter into the activity of Christ's mission, I would like you to see an initial tie between verse 1 and verse 14 and 15 of chapter 1, in the context of the new creation dawning in Christ. Most scholars view chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 1, verse 13, as the prelude of Mark's gospel, including Ned B. Stonehouse, who I introduced to you in our first message in this series on Mark. Hence, this means that verses 1, excuse me, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 begins a new section in Mark's narrative. Specifically, it's the section of Christ's ministry. This section many scholars see as going from chapter 1, verse 14, all the way into chapter 8, Verse 26, entitled, Christ's Ministry in 
and around Galilee. Galilee is very important in terms of the narrative of Mark's gospel. We will, we will map this out as we progress in this series. As the message of the new creation begins, Jesus the Savior proclaims the evangelical message of God. Verse 14, if you're looking at that verse closely. Are you making the connection now? Make the connection between verse 1 and verse 14. As the message, allow the fullness of the gospel to fill your heart as the final age to come in redemptive history begins. Open your heart and allow it to impact your Christian life and walk. The Son of God, verse 1, proclaims the gospel of God, verse 14. God proclaims God. You got it? (laughs) God proclaims God. The gospel is all about the church's supernatural interrelationship with the triune God encountered in preaching. We have set that inter-Trinitarian aspect together last week in verses 10 through 13. Listen carefully and please, please grasp this. Before Paul, before Paul preached Jesus Christ and him crucified, you all know that, right? You all know that passage, 1 Corinthians 2, 2. Jesus preached the gospel in which he was the center of its fulfilling, saving message. Let's make this really simple. Before Paul preached Christ, Christ preached Christ. Did you ever think of that? Before Paul preached Christ, Christ preached Christ. That is why this pulpit must preach Christ in every message. Because only by preaching the Son of God can you, can you be supernaturally unified with the triune God. But we are not done with 1-1 in its connection with verses 14 and 15. Please note the key phrase in 115. I have brought this before you in other messages, even back in the series on Malachi. Please note the key phrase in 115, 
found only in Mark's gospel concerning the kingdom of God. The phrase is, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Mark now doubles down on Christ inaugurating the new creation. In verse 1, we are given the blanket statement that the new era begins with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In verse 15, Mark is very direct in his unique quotation of Christ's words. The time is fulfilled. You are in it. You cannot escape it. It is about to explode. It is at hand. What is at hand and about to explode? The kingdom of God. Integrated into the preaching of the gospel of God is the kingdom of God. Look closely now at just the term God in verse 1. Verse 14 and verse 15. Are you putting it together? Just on the term God. Are you putting it all together? Let me help you. The Son of God preaches the gospel of God in light of the presence of the kingdom of God. The Son, who is also the king of the presence of the kingdom, has arrived. He has come to actually exercise his vertical, heavenly, divine supremacy in the interest of divine glory upon the horizontal line of history. Obviously, all of this definitely implies that the final reign, authority of the Son of God has begun in light of the present era of the kingdom. You see, congregation... Look back at verse 4. John proclaims a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sin with no mention of the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. On the other hand, with Christ's proclamation of the gospel, the time of the kingdom is now fulfilled. Right now, no one can avoid the urgency to repent and believe the gospel that is found in Christ. And how is Mark going to present this reign, this wonderful authority of Christ, the Son of God and his kingdom? How is he going to present that in his gospel? Of course... We all know where Mark is going with this in light of the gospel being written. While he is in the vicinity 
of Rome and Italy during the beginning of Nero's terror. Of course, Mark is going to present Christ advocating taking up swords, organizing armed insurrections against the injustices of Nero's barbarian empire set against Christians and their human rights in that republic, if there is anything left of the Roman, Roman Republic to even speak about at this point. Yet this understanding of Christ's divine supremacy in the entrance of divine glory will blanket every page of Mark's discourse of Christ's gospel message of the kingdom. Does it not? Is that what you read? Wait a second. Wait a second. As we turn the pages of Mark's gospel, am I missing something? Because I do not find any description of this type of reign and authority of the Son of God's kingship over his kingdom. Rather, the whole capsule thesis of Christ's gospel ministry for his church is found in verses 1, 14, and 15. Do we truly have eyes to see, ears to hear? Are we truly grasping the true militant power of Mark's narrative? Do we truly understand the viewpoint of the militancy of the gospel so masterfully understood in the Reformed tradition in contrast to the militancy of how the world thinks. It is not taking up the sword. It is not taking up weapons of war made with human hands. It, is not, it does not even include taking up human protests. None of this is found in the Son of God's preaching of the gospel of God throughout Mark's gospel. But what is found in the rising hostile environment of Roman culture? For Mark, it is the Son of God preaching the gospel of God in light of the presence of the kingdom of God. What is the weapon of war that believers in Christ's church use to address the depths of human depraved cultures? As the Holy Spirit carries Mark along to write the gospel of Jesus Christ between Christ's ministry on earth until he returns the sole weapon, the only weapon that the militant church 
uses under the rule, the authority, and the supremacy of Christ's eternal kingdom is the preaching of the gospel of salvation that is found solely in Jesus Christ. Why? Because in the preaching of the gospel, the real eternal battle is fought beyond, beyond any alignment to an ideology, political system, cultural narrative, or a personal narrative of all the injustices and evils that are in the world. And how does the soul preaching of the gospel, the evangelistic message of Christ, bring fallen humanity beyond the alignment of such constructed substitutes for worshiping the true creator of heaven and earth. Let all of us this morning confess with our lips, let all of us confess with our lips and believe in our hearts what the true preaching of the gospel of Christ has that no human weapon can secure. It's the gospel that has true cosmic significance, that demands a radical transformation into the spiritual depths of human beings. And how is this done according to Christ? By two imperatives. Two imperatives. Not one imperative. But two imperatives and all its force that penetrates the religious, spiritual depths of the human soul. The demand is, in terms of those two imperatives, is to repent Jesus says, and to believe. Repent and to believe. In these verses, verse 1, verse 14 and 15, Mark gives the church all she needs to be sustained in the present transcendent and spiritual glory of heaven coming to creation and the creation moving into the heavenly new creation between Christ's ministry and second coming. As the church, we must accent, we must stress, keep our task focused upon Christ's mandate, preach the good news, the evangelical gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, which secures lives, secures lives of repentance and faith into an eternal glorious kingdom that cannot be 
threatened by any human government upon this earth. As the ruler and authority of his kingdom, Christ's message of evangelism requires one response. Christ's message of the gospel requires just one response. And that response is very, very clear. Repent and believe in the gospel of the kingdom of God. There is nothing here about overthrowing the government, bringing Rome to its knees with a sword, or blending into Roman culture. In fact, it is a call to come out. Come out of such unbelieving culture, even as we think of our own cultural situation today, and solidify your life in Christ, God's Son, His gospel, his kingdom. Gerhardus Voss captures Christ's teaching about his kingdom so well presented in Mark's gospel when he writes the following. What forms the contrast of Christ's kingdom in Jesus' mind is never any political power, for example, that of Rome, but always a supernatural power, namely that of Satan. That's the battle. That's where we are in history. The cosmic battle between Christ and Satan. Where is your heart this morning? Is it committed and devoted to the Son of God? Is it committed and devoted to the gospel of God? Is it committed and devoted to the eternally transcendent kingdom of God as it even presently exists with us, the church here on earth, to live in vital relationship with Christ and his kingdom, and in his kingdom, means to subject all our temporal affairs, all our ethical activities, all our religious experiences, to your transcendent inheritance in the Christ of God and his heavenly divine kingdom 
forever and ever, which is given to each of you by grace in Christ. Let's pray. Oh Lord, what a kingdom Christ has established. It is eternal. It is without end. No human fabrication can dismiss it, take it away, blow it off the map. Not at all. For Christ's kingdom is an eternal kingdom. A kingdom that is, that has residence in glory in heaven, has residence in the very person of Jesus Christ, in his work, in his accomplishment, and how the Spirit actually makes Christ's work effectual in the hearts of his people. It is that which the world will never, ever understand. We thank thee by your grace that thou hast given us understanding. In Christ's name, amen.